Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tuesday night, and you know exactly what that means. It's time for the real conversation with Shayna Thornton. Let's talk America with hopes. Shayna Thornton is your radio talk show spotlighting the critical issues of today. She is certain to feature expert guests and celebrities each and every Tuesday night. She is a celebrated newspaper columnist, popular blogger, and award-winning radio talk show personality who has a passion for groundbreaking discussions. Here she is. Let's welcome the one and only, the engaging host for the national show. Please give it up for Shana Thornton. Well, good Tuesday evening to everyone, and welcome to your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shana Thornton. Of course, I am Shana, and I'm honored that you have opted to join us live this very Tuesday night, April the 14th. Well, everyone, uh, if it matters to you, we attempt to address it here on this show, because this show is for everyone, everyone for all communities. We do not isolate anyone. We do not leave anyone out. It's a conversation piece that you feel comfortable with having with the entire family, every single member. Well, this Tuesday night, we are putting the spotlight on a very timely issue. We're talking about recent shootings involving the police. Uh, More specifically, tonight, we will highlight and spotlight the Walter Scott uh, recent uh, death that happened in North Charleston, South Carolina. We have two leading legal experts and legal analysts, attorneys, if you will, uh, that will dissect this uh, situation, this case for us. We're going to take care of every detail tonight because this conversation matters. Remember, this is your radio talk show, okay? We deliver talk radio with substance. That's our promise. Well, we've got some great conversation pieces tonight, so I want to get started. Let's not waste any time. But before we bring in our legal exclusive guest, lend me your ears for just a few seconds to hear some very important messaging. Hello, everyone. This is your favorite author, T. Wynn, and I want to invite you all to check out my brand new website, twinauthor.com. On there, you can order all of my family's books, like Make Sure You Love Is Bigger Than Your Wedding and Label Girls, Who Are You Wearing? You can also find out what I'm working on next, what events I have coming up, and connect with me one-on-one. So please make sure you visit twinauthor.com regularly. Thanks, and have a blessed day. Regina R. Tate is a Christian counselor, and she's written a book entitled There is a Bomb for That. The compilation is her platform to inspire and spread the love of God. The book is encouragement and motivation to get beyond and through everyday issues and problems using the Word of God. In addition, she shares some accounts of athletes and other well-known people doing admirable or not-so-admirable things to help push across her messages of encouragement. Tate combines her love of sports with her love of the Lord to inspire those of us who are on the Lord's side and others who are seeking reasons to trust in God. Within the book are articles or missives including Hold Fast, Gifts of the Cross, Call to Be Better, and Don't Get Weary, all of which remind us that God is always pulling for us to get to the other side of the room. In the missive, there's a bomb for that. Tate Vince, my head hurts because there is so little tolerance for the diverse prisms through which we see life, and there is a declining appreciation for the myriad ways we have come to survive life. She goes on to explain why her neck hurts, her eyes, her ears, her stomach, her feet, and even her heart hurts. But then she points out that she is not in a woe-is-me state of paralysis because she says, 
I have medicine. I have a bomb in Gilead. Her aim with the book is to remind all of us that we indeed have medicine for whatever ails us. Regardless of what the situation or the crisis is, there is a bomb for that. Books may be purchased on authorhouse.com or at amazon.com or you may visit the website thereisabombforthat.com for more information. Hi, my name is Kezia Alford. For more information on my music, please go to keziaalford.com. That's K-E-Z-I-A-A-L-S-O-R-D.com. Or find it online at any digital outlet. I pray that my music blesses your soul. And you are currently listening to Let's Talk America with Jane of Georgia. Well, do know that we are very grateful for all of our national partners and sponsors. Thank you so much for everything. And we're also thankful to have our weekly listeners joining us each and every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay on board with us and remember, connect with us if you've got any show feedback, questions, or concerns. Or if you would like to connect with any of our previous guests or upcoming guests, let us know. Simply email us at letstalkshana at g. Gmail.com. Again, that's Let's Talk Shana at gmail.com. And also, stay connected with us on the various social media outlets. You name the site, we are on it. But if you're on Facebook, connect with us by searching our handle, Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton. Remember, if you follow us on any of the various sites, we will follow you back. So, Certainly, we appreciate all of the love. Well, everyone, we are set for one powerful and groundbreaking conversation piece tonight, putting the spotlight on recent police shootings. Uh, in particular, we tonight we will talk about the Walter Scott case out of North Charleston, South Carolina. We will also talk about the Nick Thomas case out of Atlanta, Georgia, and we will also uh, touch on some other cases that are in the media, including Aaron Hernandez's case and Robert Durst's case. So tonight, we are certainly on it. Relevant and timely conversation. And did I mention our two featured exclusive guests? We have the one and only Beth Karras with us tonight. Uh, you know her from uh, pretty much every major media outlet. She was on court television. Everywhere. She was a prosecutor herself out of New York and a criminal defense attorney, and now she's a leading legal analyst. Uh, many come to her to consult for different reasons, and tonight she will help us break down uh, the various cases that are in the spotlight. We also have same civil rights attorney out of Atlanta, Georgia. Mabali Davis will join me. We will talk one-on-one -on -one about the Scott case, also the Nick Thomas case, and he certainly will share his perspective on everything going on right now. You've got to stay with us because both exclusive featured legal experts have their own perspectives, and it will educate you on different areas. Well, everyone, let's not waste any more time. Uh, before we bring in our guest, Yes, I would love to keep with tradition and go over our words of inspiration for tonight's segment. You know, Henry David Thoreau once said, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. Once again, a famed philosopher, Henry David Thoreau once said, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. Well, everyone, that uh, statement is self-explanatory. Live your life to the fullest. You've got one life. Make it count. 
Well, everyone, we will now move forward with tonight's exclusive coverage of the Walter Scott shooting. Well, unless you've lived on an isolated island, by now you have seen the video footage. The video footage that uh, vividly displays a gentleman by the name of Walter Scott, who is now deceased, fleeing Officer Michael Slager with the North Charleston Police Force. He was fleeing him, and we can vividly and clearly see there were shots, shots pointed and directed at the back of the now deceased Walter Scott. Uh, This video really has taken the world by storm. Uh, Many individuals have their opinion of it, but uh, most people that everyone pretty much I've spoken with uh, have been horrified by what we saw on the footage. Right now, I'm going to bring in a renowned legal expert, Beth Carreras. Of course, she has experience on uh, many, many different cases. And we're going to talk one-on-one right now. I'm excited and honored to talk one-on-one with the one and only Beth Carreras. Listeners of Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, it's Tuesday night, and we are putting the spotlight on the Walter Scott case. Uh, Many of you are already familiar with what happened from the video. We're getting right now a legal perspective from a leading attorney. She's a legal analyst. She's been all over. You've seen her on national programs. I have uh, Beth Karras with me tonight. How are you, Beth? I am fine. Thank you. How are you? I am awesome. And let's get right to it because we're going to talk about the Walter Scott case and some other cases right now. So honored to have you on. You know, you know uh, just as well as I do, it was reported uh, Saturday, April the 4th, that Walter Scott was killed uh, by North Charleston uh, police officer Michael Thomas Slager. And uh, that is now clear from the video that has surfaced. It also appears to me um, that the uh, officer did not seem to be in any immediate danger to me. When I'm looking at it, he, the gentleman is fleeing. He shot him, I believe, eight times in the back. Um, you know, Beth, just tell us, I mean, you've seen both sides of the law. You know, what could Officer Slager's defense possibly be to such a damaging and devastating and hard-to-watch video revelation? Frankly, it's hard to imagine what his defense will be at this point because it is captured on video. It appears that until the video surfaced, he had told his superiors and an attorney who subsequently quit after the video surfaced that he felt in fear for his own life that his taser, his gun, had been taken by the victim in the case and that there was a struggle and that the shots were fired. But obviously that story was a big lie once the video surfaced. And he was immediately arrested for murder, and his lawyer quit. His lawyer can't say why he quit, okay. but he could because of attorney-client privilege, but he says after the video service. So it's clear that the officer was lying to his lawyer. What can he say when he is caught on video shooting a man who is running away from yeah. him and shooting him in the back? There isn't much. I mean, I really... I, Does he still fear for his safety? Even if the man had, did he ever fear for his safety? But even if Scott had the taser in his hand as he's running away, he didn't have it when he, it appears that the officer went back and picked it up and placed it by his body. I mean, that's also a a tampering with evidence charge, arguably, right? Yes, it is. I I just, I don't know, you know, I think it's a, a, a real uphill battle for his attorney and, uh, Maybe they'll just try to 
work out a deal for some lesser charge or lighter sentence than what he's ultimately facing. You know, it seems as if uh, the South Carolina Investigative Service, and I believe it goes by SLED, uh, they have stepped in and taken over the investigation, and the charge of murder uh, was instantly, Beth, you know, put on uh, this case. You know, did you, as an attorney, expect maybe manslaughter, or is murder pretty accurate to what clearly everyone has seen on that video? This is murder. Okay. This is murder. This is not this is not a struggle. Scott is several feet and running away from the officer when he is being shot at. I mean he's fired at several times. Not every shot hit him, but he was hit you know, once in the arm, I think four times in the back. It doesn't matter. One shot in the back is enough mm-hmm. uh, under those circumstances. Yes. So it what it does is make you wonder has this happened a lot? Does yeah. this happen a lot? Do officers actually uh, engage in struggles and plant evidence and lie about h- how it happened to protect themselves. I hope not. You know, I hope that this guy is a bad apple. Yes. And I hope he doesn't make everybody else rotten because of it. You know, Beth, you bring up a valid point. Obviously, looking at it, I think it's clear that most people, I haven't spoken to anyone that has not been bothered by what they have seen. But obviously, unless someone has been living isolated on an island somewhere, we know that this situation brings up the conversation of police brutality, in particular against African-American men. We know how people feel one way or the other about Ferguson. This has come up. Eric Gardner out of New York. It continues to come up across the nation here. You know, when you look at the, the big picture and we look at the federal government, the U.S. Justice Department, uh, went into Ferguson and did an investigation um, and, and obviously made some notations. You know, does this case uh, play on a bigger scale when it comes to the federal government coming in and investigate? Do you think that's even going to happen in this case or we have to wait and see? Oh, no. Oh, no. They're involved. But okay. I think that what, when you look at the recent cases that have been in the news, Ferguson, Staten Island, Eric Garner, this, there have been a few others, what makes this case stand out is that the entire incident, well, almost the entire incident was caught on video. Okay. But so was Eric Garner. Yes. But the two individuals were not in close proximity at the time of the fight. I mean, they were several feet away. Okay. Not running away. This is not Eric Garner. You know, in a chokehold. Okay. And this is not Michael Brown, who at one point you know, apparently was grabbing at the officer, and there was a there was a struggle at one point, even though the shots were fired from from some feet away. This is a different scenario, and it's captured on video. Therein lies the, the biggest difference. This was not a struggle between the two of them. You know, and contrary to what the officer initially said, of course. Yeah, and, and yes, and there is an obvious difference. I think, you know, obviously there are individuals, when what, what I've heard, when they say the testimony, when we go back to Ferguson with Michael Brown, there were conflicting stories. But from my knowledge, there was no video, as right here with the death of Walter Scott, that caught everything on tape, right? Correct. I mean, there, there are portions that were caught, and then the witnesses who, were test, who, who testified all saw different portions of the chronology of Michael Brown, and okay. no one saw the entire thing, or at least no one who could stand up under cross-examination, you know, rigorous examination. But, you know, this video doesn't lie, right? This yeah. video is it's there. And so this is I, – I used to be a prosecutor. I used to stand before juries, as many prosecutors do, and say, look, I wish I had a videotape of this okay. crime, but I don't have a videotape. I've done the best I can with the evidence I have to reconstruct what happened. I'm telling you this proof beyond a reasonable doubt that this is whatever the crime is I was, I was prosecuting. Well, here, 
The prosecutor can stand up and say, huh, yes. I do have a video to show you, and That's here right. it is. And there's just there's no explanation. There's no reasonable explanation. Of course, Shana, let's go back decades and look at the Rodney King beating. Yes. That was caught on video, yes, and those was. officers, at least in the state case, were acquitted, even though it was caught on video. So who knows what's going to happen? We live in a different era a couple decades later. Okay. And, and the officers of Rodney King were charged federally and, and uh, were convicted in some served time. You know, and you bring that up because we've seen things on video that didn't always come out the way many people thought it would on different cases. I know the Supreme Court, from my research, Beth, has made it quite clear that an officer should not be using uh, aggressive or deadly force unless he feels that his life is in immediate danger or unless there's some true physical harm coming to him. And, and I just want to say that this. I'm not an attorney like you by any means. I'm a talk show host. But if you're fleeing from the scene, if you're running, how could Officer Slager even think to say that he felt like he was in immediate danger? Correct. Okay. Correct. And that is why uh, the, the law is that you don't shoot at a fleeing felon unless for some reason there's still a danger to perhaps to a third person. Is he armed? Could he turn around and shoot? There's no evidence this guy was armed. No. In fact, when we see the video of the officer picking up an object and dropping it near the body and then putting it on his belt, it appears that that's the, the, the taser. You know, again, the video, watching it in its entirety, uh, it, it, it hurt me. You know, just watching it as a human being, seeing anyone a shot that many times, one is too much. Obviously, it was fatal for Mr. Walter Scott, and obviously my condolences go out to his family. You know, I want to talk about something else uh, that happened. Um, when I watched the video, so we know Officer Slager shoots him in the back, and then it seems to be seconds or maybe even a whole minute later, uh, another officer comes to the scene. But what it looks like to me, Beth, is that none of the officers are trying to do immediate CPR on Mr. Scott. I see sort of they put on the gloves and they're kind of wiping him. As an officer, a police officer, are they legally obligated to try to save this man's life? Well, they should be uh, they should be making some efforts, but we don't know if they had already called 911. I mean, as we are speaking right now, we don't know all of the facts, right? We, and we don't know if those officers just arrived and had no idea there was had been a shooting. Okay. I mean, we, we, we just don't have all the facts. But you would think that they would be checking to make sure he's breathing, he's okay. Yeah. As far as they're concerned, there's a man with handcuffs behind his back. He's laying on the ground, a position they've seen plenty of people in over the years and, and, and arresting people, and, and perhaps no reason to believe he's actually probably expired at that point. Okay. But they, there should be some average and, and a, a call for backup help in an ambulance, and that probably went out. Okay. I mean, but I guess legally speaking, they don't have to, or you're saying sort of morally you would think that would be protocol in place? Well, I don't, you know, I, I don't have the, um, the, you know, the South Carolina, like, rules in front yeah. of me, but I am, I, I have to believe that they are supposed to administer aid if they can, but they are not paramedics, yeah. so, I mean, they don't have the equipment on them. Yeah. They've got to, what they've got to do is call for it. Okay. Uh, an ambulance or paramedics. To do it. I guess we all would like to believe to a certain degree that the human component of everyone would attempt to save the life. You know, SLED, I spoke about it earlier, Beth. You know, they're the investigative law enforcement investigative agency uh, in South Carolina that seemed to have taken over the case immediately. You know, I know obviously uh, you are not in South Carolina. You don't have a, a license to practice law there. But generally speaking, is a local police department legally authorized to hand over the case to the law 
larger, the state-ran agency, or not necessarily. It's up to them. Well, think about who the defendant is. The defendant is one of the local police officers. Yes. That's why. They, there's a conflict. They, they need to hand it over. Okay. Because their department is going to be scrutinized. Their officers are going to be, you know, witnesses. And so, it's, it's yeah, you have to turn it over. You know, we have uh, Beth Harris with us tonight. Of course, she is a leading, leading analyst. She's on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. Of course, we cover the real news that matters, that's relevant and timely. And we are talking about uh, the Walter Scott case, the 50-year-old gentleman who was shot, uh, fatally shot, uh, there by Officer Slager from North Charleston, uh, South Carolina. And I'm very familiar with Charleston. It was my home for several years. You know, uh, Beth, this case has hit the nation. Uh, Many people are devastated by it. There are uh, opinions out there. You know, when you talk about this case, we talk about a police officer clearly gunning down another human being. The likelihood of him getting the death penalty is what? I mean, has a police officer from your knowledge anywhere in the United States ever received the death penalty for killing a civilian or no? Uh, acting in the line of duty. Gosh, you know what? I can't answer that off the top of my head. First of all, it's very, I, I don't know. It's possible, but I don't know. I think it's, it's very remote. Uh, there aren't many cases, if any. It's very unusual for an, a uniform officer and an officer acting in the line of duty as opposed to an off-duty officer. You know, they can still carry their guns and they get into scuffles all the time off-duty, domestic yes. and otherwise. Yes. But in the, in the course of their job, Wearing a uniform to be charged with murder is extremely rare, mm. and so uh, you know to, to get the death penalty too. I mean that that that, that is, is even rarer. I mean obviously prosecutors only get death in a fraction of the cases they seek it in. Not every state has a death penalty, yes. so the numbers are low. So I, I just I can't answer it without doing a little research. You got, mm. you got me there, Shana. I thought I, I could answer every one of your questions. <laughs> well, it, yeah, well, I think it's fair to say that if you can't recall any incident, Beth, that it's likely that if it has happened, it has been far and few between. Right, that's a fair. Yeah, that's a fair. That's with it. You know, again, this uh, situation, as devastating as it is, it seems to continue with the conversation. Again, uh, police brutality against African American men. People can feel whatever way they want about it, but the conversation is relevant right now, and it has been uh, for a while now. You know, Beth, we're looking at the video uh, that's out there on every site you can find. Every media outlet has reported it, as we're reporting right now. You know. Uh, Tell me this, what will this video, as brutal as it is, as sincere, as in full entirety that it is, what will this likely do on the national level for police relations in uh, the African-American community from your perspective or the communities at large? Because here is a police officer that was supposed to be protecting someone, uh, that pulled someone over for a, a missing taillight, and the man ends up dead. What does that do to all of us looking at the Well, video? I think that it is. it, it should, and it probably will, uh, spur many police departments, as, as it did in North Charleston, to get those body cameras on officers. Okay. Uh, there are already, you know, dash cams on a lot of patrol cars. Okay. And police departments are starting to equip officers with, with the body cams. And, you know, I think that's, that's what needs to be done. It's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, they need to start capturing their interactions with people, especially if they're going to start doing, oh, God, what Slager just did to this, this 
for Mr. Scott. Yes, yes. Of course, that was caught on video. Uh, so here we have the full video, which the body cameras would be able to do. You know, let me uh, throw this in there. You know, they have the body cameras, so obviously it's personalized or will be with each police officer. I, I'm sure the question from a community member's perspective, Beth, will be they're responsible for turning over the footage or can they tamper with the footage? These are just questions I'm sure that will be going through the minds of many. Oh yes, and and I and I can't answer uh, those questions about whether or not the officers are. I'm sure they'll be able to turn them off and, okay. and on, and so they that's tampering if they yes. don't want something to be caught on, on video. But then they would face administrative uh, consequences if they do do that. Okay. So uh, there there'll be a lot of you know wrinkles in this as as you know, different departments start using more and more body cameras as there always are. Yes. with new procedures and policies. Mm, definitely. So the charge is murder. It's official uh, for Officer Slager out of the North Charleston Police Department uh, for the killing, the murder, of course, of Walter Scott. And he was also fired uh, recently, so that's official. Uh, for them to fire him, Beth, is that a, a legally separating themselves from them? How does that work out possibly for a civil yeah. case? And it's my understanding from a press conference that the mayor or the chief of police had that they will continue the officer's insurance benefits, health benefits, until the, his wife is like eight months pregnant. I think that's what I heard. Okay. And they'll continue the benefits through the delivery of the child because that's the humane thing to do, and then they're cut off. But uh, that is something that the police union, I assume he's union unionized. Um, many uh, police officers around the country uh, belong to unions, and the union will be dealing with that. So we have a criminal charge of murder for him. I I'm uh, just assuming there will likely be a civil case that will likely come from it, right? And that's going to be a whole separate uh, case or piece that's going to be uh, very distinct from the criminal charge. Yes. The okay. civil justice system is very different, and that's where... where uh, parties bringing an action to seek money or some other action not to take somebody's liberty away and have them branded a criminal and, and, and imprisoned. So okay. criminal is one sphere, uh, civil is the other. And, you know, the family, on behalf of the estate of Mr. Scott, could be uh, seeking a lawsuit against the individual officer, the police department, okay. city, various entities. They could, they'll explore it, I'm sure. Okay, surely. So there it is. The charge is murder for Officer Slager uh, for the Walter Scott uh, case, and we will keep an eye on that. Right now, Beth, we're going to transition over to some other uh, cases that have been in the news lately. Let's start off with uh, Robert Durst. Of course, we know uh, that is the uh, wealthy gentleman who uh, it seems to be appearing again, is in the court system or coming under scrutiny uh, for what seemed to be a leaked uh, audio footage or taping will you, uh, with an HBO a documentary where he seems to be having a conversation, if I'm right, with himself admitting that he uh, took the life of all of them? Am I right? Yes, uh, that is something that was captured on a, a hot microphone, as you call it, which was still clipped to his lapel when he went to the bathroom following an interview in 2012. They didn't actually realize that they had this recording for a couple of years when they were logging the recording for the documentary that aired earlier this year, a six-part documentary. Uh, and they turned it over. This was a 2012 interview. They turned it over to law enforcement, I think, October of um, 2014. But Durst was arrested in part based upon what these documentarians uh, discovered about him, and he, he was arrested for an unsolved, still open investigation to a 2000 murder, to, uh, December 2000 murder of Durst's good friend, a woman named Susan Berman, who yeah. was shot in the head. And so, that's, so, he, so he got arrested in New Orleans, 
on, the, on March 14th, the day before the last episode aired. But they found a loaded gun and marijuana on him, so he's being held in Louisiana. He's now under indictment there on those charges. Before he gets shipped to uh, California, Louisiana wants to deal with him. So we'll wow. see what the jurisdictions do if he actually is. He's facing over more than 20 years just in Louisiana. Yes. Um, wow. And he's turning 72, or he turned 72, just turned 72. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a life sentence if he never even leaves the state of Louisiana. So I don't know what's going to happen, if he'll end up in California uh, facing the murder charges or not. You know, Beth, I think so many people look at what has uh, surrounded the case or the new revelation, and they're thinking, you know, here it has been uh, several people uh, missing, coming up dead, uh, affiliated with him, and yet he was able to walk away from each of these incidents. It, it seems like is the legal system failing individuals when you look at it? Was his money, uh, did it play a part in him being able to skip over these, uh, you know, these Convictions of these charges? Well, he is really a sly guy, right? Probably pretty bright. And he's a multi, multi millionaire. Mm -hmm. Over $100 million, I believe. Uh, the family had, he's basically estranged from his uh, real estate family here in Manhattan, which is where I am. Uh, they, they paid him $64, $65 million some years ago, and that's grown. So he's, he's worth a lot of money, and he has taken on various identities over the years and lived kind of with marginalized members of society and flop houses and stuff. And, and um, you know, I, I'm not sure why, he, but he's he kind of been on the run. He surfaces and then he goes under for decades. He got away with one murder in Texas. Well, people believe it was a murder by pleading self-defense, and the jury believed it. And he was acquitted of killing his neighbor and dismembering his body, uh, had never been wow. found, and uh, throwing him in the uh, bay in Galveston, Texas. And... He's never been charged in the disappearance of his wife of nine years. She disappeared in 1982. Yes. And now he's charged with the murder of his good friend, Susan Berman, who was apparently about to be questioned by authorities about the missing wife. Oh, wow. And she may okay. have known too much, and maybe he wanted to silence her, assuming mm. he actually killed her. Wow, it sounds like there's some uh, puzzle pieces missing here that need to be put together. So we'll keep our eye out on that case uh, concerning Robert Durst. Also, before you get out of here, I want to talk to you about Hernandez case. Uh, Aaron Hernandez, of course, the uh, famous and popular NFL player, played for the New England Patriots. Uh, we all uh, know, unless you've been living on a uh, deserted island, that he is up uh, against a murder charge, correct? Yes, well, as we talk, the jury is deliberating. Um, there will probably be resolution very soon on the case. Okay. Uh, but he is facing, and then that's for the murder of Odin Lloyd. Yes. But he's facing a double homicide charge from uh, a year earlier in Boston. So regardless of this Bristol County, Massachusetts case and the murder of Odin Lloyd, He's going up to Boston to face another murder case. Okay. So this guy is, I mean, all he needs is one conviction to be sent away for life. Uh, and there's no death penalty in Massachusetts, so uh, that's the maximum he can get his life, and I suspect he'll get more than one life sentence. Well, you know, let me know this, because it seems everywhere that they're saying a lot of the uh, information dealing with the case there is circumstantial. They're saying that, I guess, the evidence is not as strong as uh, many would hope that it had been. Because I did catch a piece where I guess he was dancing with a young lady at a club the night of the uh, killing, the murder um, of, uh, of course, uh, Miss Odom. And then it seems like 
the woman who he was dancing with said as the uh, deceased walked in, he seemed to be agitated. They were saying that was the prosecution's whole stance. And I think some individuals, you know, brought that under attack that it, it wasn't strong enough to hold up. Well, I do know that um, the case isn't what a lot of people thought, uh, and uh, some people have, have actually said that the judge is certainly helping the defense along with some of her rulings. It's not something I followed, you know, day to day because I was at Jody Arias' recent yeah. for the bulk of the um, Hernandez trial. However, circumstantial evidence, I'll just tell you, can be extremely powerful evidence. Okay. Uh, you, you don't have to have a confession or an eyewitness. To, to convict someone. In fact, most murders don't happen in front of other people, and most murderers don't confess. And okay, that's people true. People in prison all the time for, for murder. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he, Odin Lloyd's in the car with him and two other friends. The two friends are really, you know, the, the, the critical witnesses because yeah. one of them is dead now, and, you know, the, the security videos at Hernandez's house show him, Hernandez, with a gun in his hand, and then the video gets shut off, and there's all kinds of uh, circumstantial evidence to show that Hernandez was involved, mm-hmm. if not the actual shooter. Mm. So uh, I'm sure we'll be getting a, a verdict on that case uh, any minute or any day now. Before you leave us, Beth, of course, uh, Beth Harris is with us tonight on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. We're talking about some of the leading uh, cases that have been in the news, started off, of course, uh, with the unfortunate death of Mr. Walter Scott out of Charleston. Uh, before you leave us, the Boston bombing conviction, uh, it seemed to be very clear cut. I guess the question I have to ask, and everyone wants to know, uh, will he likely get the death penalty? Well, 17 of the 30 counts he was convicted of qualify for the death penalty. So I would say there's a good chance that 12 jurors will agree on at least one of them, if not more than one. Okay. But, you know, I am reminded that Zacharias Massawi, in 2006, he pled guilty to conspiring in the 911 bombings, tried federally, but wow. in Virginia, not Massachusetts. Okay. Tried only on the death penalty. And there were three counts that qualified for death, and he didn't get death. Wow. The jury voted 11 to 1 for death on one count and 10 to 2 on the other two counts. So for that 11 to 1 count, one juror held out and did not give him death. Now, the Boston bombing is a very different trial. You had, you know, the people without limbs and family members who lost loved ones standing, you know, testifying before this jury. And so he may very well get death. But all I'm saying is you need one juror. Uh, 11 for death and one who just can't vote death is all it will take to spare his life. But they, that's got to be the case for all 17 counts. Okay. Wow. So we will certainly keep an eye on that case. Also, you have been a great in-house exclusive guest talking about all of the uh, hot cases going on in our current uh, media, our current affairs right now. Before you leave us, Beth, I know many of our national listeners would love to connect with you and follow the different cases that you cover. How can they connect with you? Well, I now have a subscription website. It's called karisoncrime.com, my last name, K-A-R-A-S, oncrime.com. And it's $5.99 a month. It's a steal for what I give you because I blog, I post video, I get court documents, some of them exclusive court documents and exhibits in cases. And I did it for, five, for four months during the Jody Arias retrial, so there's tons of stuff about Arias. But now I am posting uh, documents in the James Holmes, the Colorado Theater shooting case, Robert Durst. Um, I'm getting documents in um, Justin Ross Harris, 
the Cobb County case of the father who left his child in a hot in a hot car and yes. his child died. So I've got, um, you know, I'm on it. I'm on the trail of a lot of these cases, and uh, join my site. There's more coming. Wow. Thank you so much. We're going to have to have you back on because we know news keeps rolling. So there's much more in it. We may have you back on to continue the conversation about Mr. Scott's uh, death or the murder there. Thank you, Beth, for all you do. My pleasure. Intriguing conversation with the one and only legal analyst, Beth Karras. We are grateful for having her on tonight. But we are not done yet. Please stay with us right now. We are going to feature a just as intriguing and fascinating conversation about the Walter Scott shooting. We're also going to dig into the Nick Thomas uh, shooting, the death that happened in Atlanta, Georgia recently, with the one and only Maui Lee Davis. He is an acclaimed civil rights attorney out of Atlanta, Georgia, and he joins us right now. Listeners of Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, it's Tuesday night, and we are continuing the conversation about something very unfortunate in the national news. Of course, many of you are familiar with the uh, brutal and devastating shooting of Walter Scott by police officer, now former North Charleston police officer, Michael Slager. I have with me right now on the line a very renowned and celebrated civil rights attorney out of Atlanta, Georgia. I have Mallory Davis with us. How are you this Tuesday night? Shane, I'm doing great um, under the circumstances because we are continuing to fight all of these uh, various police shooting cases. But mm. uh, I'm thankful to, to be able to uh, be able to fight them and to be a part of this, what I hope will be a movement to, to make some changes. Mm. You know, uh, let's start off talking about the topic of the hour um, on this show right now, which is the Walter Scott shooting. You know, we just spoke with another legal analyst about the actual video that horribly depicted the fatal shooting. You know, Mr. Davis, let's highlight the police car dash camera right now. And I know that footage was recently released a few days ago where we seemingly, and and I'm not an attorney like you, so I want you to break this down, we seemingly uh, see a cordial initial interaction between now the deceased Mr. Scott and the police officer. Now, we do uh, see that uh, Mr. Scott eventually runs away from the scene. In your professional opinion, does this video change anything for you? No, it doesn't. I think what what it does and what we attempt to use it for um, and what we will attempt to use it for is educating our young people about the dangers of running from the police, but it does not fundamentally change the fact that this officer shot Mr. Scott in his back from a distance. Mr. Scott was not a threat. The officer's life was not at risk, and so that this was a unlawful shooting, and he, essentially it was a murder. And so, um, you know, that dash cam, while it gives us more information, it does not change at the moment that this officer fired um, into Mr. Scott's back. He was uh, he was not a threat to the officer. Okay. So uh, this is murder. Mm, and he was, as I think the law says, or legal terminology, he was a fleeing felon. So to shoot a fleeing felon, I think the Supreme Court has made some rulings on that, right? Well, they have, but here's here's what the issue is: is that he's he's fleeing. He had not been involved in a in a violent crime um, that came, you know, that led up to to his pursuit. That this was um, he's running under the. Um, Offices that he believes that he has an outstanding bench warrant for um, unpaid child support. That is not 
a he's not a violent felon. Yes. And so that that does not that is not a basis for this officer to to shoot and injure him. He was not a threat. Uh, Mr. Scott was not a threat to the community or to to society. Yes. He ran on foot. He did not drive off. Okay. Um, and so there just is not a legal basis for an officer under those circumstances to shoot. The Supreme Court has said a couple things. One being um, if the individual that is fleeing from the police um, is armed, dangerous, has um, the propensity or there's a likelihood that he could go out and injure other members of the community um, and the officer fears for his life, then the officer can shoot um, a fleeing suspect that is under some, you know, under those circumstances. Okay. But generally, the, the notion that someone that is running from the police, they're, they're, they're not armed, they're not attempting to look back and fire over their shoulder, um, there isn't a basis for, um, for that officer discharging his weapon. And, mm -hmm. and that's the problem that I believe um, ultimately the defense counsel for um, for the officer will, will run into is, is in, in trying to defend his actions. You know, tell us this, and we're going to get a little technical here, and you would know knowing the law. Did Officer Slager have the legal right to stop the vehicle Scott was operating? Because from what I understand, everything that I've researched, there was a tail light that was out during daylight hours. And I know this is South Carolina, and I know you um, obviously practice law in Georgia, but is that technically a, a reason for a police officer to stop a vehicle? Well, you know, we have a list of the most common things that um, really for us, and we describe it in, in plain language, that there are some legal reasons to stop people, but it's really legal racial profiling. Essentially, what the courts have said is that even if an officer admits the primary reason I was pulling the individual over was because I was, I thought, because, uh, you know, they were African-American in a certain area, um, as long as they have a legal reason, that does not negate the stop itself. So an officer can literally say, I was suspicious of this young black male driving this fancy car, and he had a tag light out. I mean, the light that's right above the tag, okay. and so I pulled him over. The, the law says that's a good stop. And so if there is a violation of the law, um, as long as it's a, a violation of the law that the, the officer can articulate, and that is just state um, that this is the reason that I'm pulling them over because I believe they were in violation of the law, then it is a good stop. And it's, it, it's unfortunate because people don't realize that, um, that that is the law. And an officer can admit, yeah, my, my underlying reason for pulling the individual Okay. But but they were breaking the law because they had a tail light out, a tag light out. They were weaving within their own lane. They were following the car in front of them too closely. These are all excuses that we find on a fairly regular basis um, where officers are pulling um, predominantly young African-American or Hispanic males over um, in various communities throughout the country. Mm. 
we have acclaimed and I'm very celebrated civil rights attorney, Mowley Davis, is with us tonight on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. We're putting the spotlight on uh, the recent uh, brutal killing of Walter Scott out of North Charleston, South Carolina, and we have a legal analyst expert with us who's really breaking it down. You know, Mowley, as you know, there is a lapse in video coverage where supposedly a fight or some sort of physical altercation of some sort took place between Scott and Slager, if that's what uh, we're to believe. I think there was a, a new eyewitness who came forward saying this. I think that supposedly was Slager's initial uh, claim, that there was some sort of altercation. But, of course, no video has caught that. And then uh, there is the brutal video uh, that shows uh, the killing, unfortunately, that tells us the end of this situation. Uh, if there was a fight, and again, we're going by an eyewitness. I'm not even sure if there's official police interviewing of this young lady yet. But if there was a fight, does it change what a jury may possibly consider if Slager does go to trial? You know, that's that's a uh, an interesting issue that that that's being raised. Is will a fight prior to the shooting? Um, change the possibility, and, and my my short answer is yes, it could, because I think jurors can generally be very sympathetic to police officers. I think that jurors will look at if there was a, a physical altercation that they might consider a manslaughter charge versus a murder charge. I think that when we look back at the Mike Brown Darren Wilson encounter, that the um, issue around there being some physical uh, confrontation with Mike Brown and Darren Wilson, um, I think that that went a long way in the minds of the grand jurors as it relates to um, why they did not bring back bring any charges against Darren Wilson. I thought they got it wrong. I think that the law, if 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 we can get jurors and jurors to follow the law, the law uh, is that if you are not in fear, in imminent fear of bodily injury that could result in death, that you are not to use lethal force. And so, um, Shana, essentially what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that if there is a fight and Mr. Um, Scott gets the best of the officer, and, and, and of course we don't know what happened, but and he's able to get up and run away, yes. the officer does not get to say, okay. well, you punched me in the mouth, so now I get to shoot you in the back. It just, you know, and I know that's oversimplifying it, okay. but it just does not work that way. That if, if the person is fleeing, even after there being some physical contact, if in fact that is what happened, there's still not a legal basis to shoot a man in the back from 8, 10, 20, 30 feet away. That just is... Um, you know, to shoot someone, shoot at someone eight times, hitting them five times in the back, uh, it's it, it doesn't fly as it relates to just what you know the the, the state of the law um, in our country right now. So. You know, uh, Marilee Davis, we bring the news here on this show. I want to ask you this, because there are those who are listening in right now. There are those that are watching all of the media coverage um, out of North Charleston, South Carolina. And you know there are individuals that are going to disagree with you and say, you know what, uh, Marilee, this is not about race. 
This is a, a police officer who may have overreacted, but he may have shot a Caucasian or African-American or Hispanic gentleman all the same. This is not about race. What, what's your feedback or what's your response to that? You know, that's that's always raised. I've, I've heard recently the the call that all lives matter, and 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 I agree with the the premise that all lives matter. But it's not all lives that we're seeing being taken on a daily basis. Almost, I, it's my understanding that um, you know, over there was a study that um, came out about two and a half years ago by the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement that every 36 hours, a uh, African-American man, woman, or child was being shot and killed by a law enforcement officer or pseudo-law enforcement officer like a George Zimmerman. That changed. Um, that was out of date in about nine months, and it went down to every 28 hours. Now I think it may be down to every 23 hours. And so this trend of African-Americans being uh, shot by law enforcement is one that I think we can no longer deny as a society and as a community, and that at that rate, we have to consider race as a factor in these shootings. And I think uh, failing to do so is the equivalent of us just, again, turning a blind eye to okay. uh, the realities that, that there is systemic racism that continues to um, impact the daily lives of African-American men, women, and children, um, whether it's in law enforcement, um, through the media. It, it exists, and we've got to confront it. And the uh, law enforcement um, reality of all of this is the most um, really profound because it results in a loss of life. Mm-hmm. And so I understand folks you know, may, may take issue with me saying it, but I have said it uh, time and time again um, across the country that this is about black lives mattering, about a respect for black life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it has been a disregard um, on many levels of, of the value of black life. I think that it even happens in our own community at the hands between uh, young people okay. where, you know, we have unfortunately as a society uh, come to uh, accept either subconsciously or consciously that uh, the life of a young African-American man uh, is just not equal to others. And so it's easier to take that life, whether you're a police officer or uh, someone in an argument in the street. And uh, that's that's part of the challenge. That's part of what we have to address on a real um, deep, uh, fundamental way. Mm. You know, civil rights attorney Mallory Davis out of Atlanta, Georgia, is with us tonight on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. We are addressing a uh, national issue. It's a conversation. People can feel one way or the other, but the reality is uh, the conversation of police brutality, uh, police overreacting, in particular when it comes to African-American men, uh, that topic is on the table, and we are addressing it tonight. You know, Mamalee, from your perspective, what should an African-American male do if he happens to be stopped by the police and happens to feel threatened? Because, I mean, and I know that's the the huge elephant sitting in the room, but, you know, from your legal perspective, from your perspective as a human being, what should one do? And and that's, um, Shane, that's an important uh, 
dialogue that I think we need to have with, with our young men and women, and it's a dialogue that I have with my two sons that are teenagers, and one of them is driving and one of them is about to get his permit to drive. And so uh, I'm very clear um, about how I think police encounters should go. One, I think uh, any citizen that's stopped should be respectful, uh, should, uh, you know, be very clear with their movements and um, articulate to the officer, um, officer, you've asked for my license. It is in my wallet. My wallet is in my back pocket. Okay. Um, do you, how do you want me to go about getting my wallet? Officer, what I have in my hand is my phone. I would like to sit it on my dashboard and just really be, really over communicate uh, with officers because they're out, um, you know, for whether they should or shouldn't be, they can be afraid of, of scenarios and situations. Um, and so I think it's important that our young people understand what their rights are as well, that you don't have to consent to a search of your vehicle, okay. that, um, you know, you really should, when an officer uh, pulls you over um, and they begin to question you, okay. you respond to what they what they're requesting if they're requesting your identification you provide it to them okay. um, and you don't get into a, a ongoing you know back and forth with them but I, I do want to make this one, one one caveat Shana is that the idea that because a young person runs from the police I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago I ran from the police when I was young okay. I don't know why but we did um, that that should not result in a death sentence. And, okay. I, and I, I want us, I want to instruct our young people to be careful um, and not to run. To, okay. if, if you think you have an outstanding warrant, just take the charge. Uh, lawyers will be there to help you through that process. Yes. But it, it's the hardest thing in the world. We're going to bury a young man on Saturday. It's mm -hmm. the hardest thing in the world for us to have to sit with his mother and father and for them to be heartbroken. Um, it just hurts. It really does. And so I would rather you take the charge and we'll try to help you out of it okay. on the back end than to give any excuse. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's justified, but to yes. give any excuse for an officer to, to fire upon, um, you know, our young people. Yes, mm, definitely. We don't want any more uh, deaths on any level. You know, uh, before you get out of here, I do want to touch on something, and you just uh, brought it up very briefly. Uh, from my understanding, you represent uh, the family of Nick Thomas, right? And for many yes. uh, that we have a lot of listeners out of New York and California, and I know there's a lot always in the national media, um, but uh, Nick Thomas uh, was the young man who uh, the police were, were coming to issue a warrant, right? And for some reason, he ended up uh, dead. Tell me about this situation. Yeah, I mean, very tragic. He's a 23-year-old who's working at his job. He's a mechanic at Goodyear, okay. um, working every day. His, his boss uh, was on a televised um, interview and t said that he came in early. He'd leave late. He just loved to work on cars. And he had a five-month-old baby. Mm -hmm. um, and his uh, girlfriend, fiance, they were living together. So he was a working man. He had some issues in the past, so he had a probation violation for not paying his probation fees. And they came, um, Shana, they came like, I mean, gangbusters. Literally, they brought a canine unit, SWAT team, all of these officers to his job. So he has uh, come out um, to take a car around to, 
do some work on it in the bank. And um, he's pulling around, and he panics. And we, we acknowledge, again, that he does not jump out of the car as instructed. He drives back and forth um, trying to evade the police. And one officer out of all of these officers decides, oh, I think he's a threat, and shoots and kills him. Yeah. Um, interestingly, and I think importantly, is that the shot that's fired is not through the front windshield as if the as if the car was coming at that officer. It's okay. actually through the side window. Um, he was unarmed. He was at work. He is, um, his funeral is this Saturday at um, the historic uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church on Auburn Avenue here in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and so it is, his, his mom and dad uh, comes from you know, his mother and father have been married 28 years. Oh, um, you know, so it just is, it's been a real difficult situation for them, for his girlfriend, Cajun. Uh, it, it's just tough. And uh, they're, they're raising money to, to try to bury him at uh, GoFundMe Justice okay. for Nicholas. Um, GoFundMe Justice for Nicholas uh, Thomas. So, uh, you know, this is a a hard line of work for us to be in, but um, every chance we get to fight for families and try to hold the uh, police and other uh, governmental entities accountable for their actions is is worth every every bit of our time and energy as as a firm. The national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shayna Thornton, putting the spotlight on uh, recent police shootings. You know, Madeleine Davis is with us, acclaimed civil rights attorney out of Atlanta, Georgia. You know, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, uh, Walter Scott, uh, Tamar Rice, uh, Nick Thomas. You know, Madeleine, how do we move forward? You know, I I was – that's an important question. I think that everyone that wants to see this come to an end in in terms of just this um how often we're we're waking up to the news of another young uh man being shot by police has to be willing to join an organization. I just don't know another way. I often say at rallies and at different um gatherings um power to the people because I really believe that I believe that all power that exists in government, all power that exists in our society comes out of people being willing to organize themselves, stand either for something or against something, and that that um, usually, if if they're well organized, will result in some change. And so I think um, everyone that is uh, under the sound of our voices should be in an organization that seeks to address uh, police brutality, uh, racial profiling, mass incarceration, uh, these issues that are having a devastating impact um, on on communities across the country. And so, um, obviously, the fact that, that you would have us on and have this conversation is, is, is important. And so, every chance we get, we have to have this conversation. We have to be honest and frank and open and willing to um, not just talk about it, but then to be doers and uh, and do the work, the hard work of organizing uh, block to block, door to door, um, person to person, and and get enough critical mass of folks to say this can't keep going. There cannot be business as usual, okay. and I think that is the way uh, we will see a difference. And it's my 
my prayer we'll see it in our lifetime because of uh, of our of our children. Wow, and certainly we have to keep this conversation going because it affects lives, and lives do matter. You know, Madeline Davis, your friend here on Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton. And before you leave us, uh, we have individuals uh, from all over this country and also out of this country listening in right now. If they want to connect with you and learn more about you or ask you some questions about uh, the Walter Scott case, the Nick Thomas case, how can they connect with you? Oh, I would love for them to give us a, a call. They can call us on our on our office number four zero four two four four two thousand four. I'd love for them to visit us. Our website at Davis Bozeman B O Z E M A N dot com. Davis Bozeman B O Z E M A N dot com. Um, we're on Facebook, um, Instagram as Davis Bozeman Law. Um, you know, one of the things that we we really try to do, and, and what I really appreciate about what you're doing with with the show, um, particularly this evening, is that we want to educate our community, and so we do all kinds of workshops. Um, I've gone around. We'll be doing a big workshop down in uh, at Albany State on on this. Uh, excuse me, on April 25th, um, and I'll be teaching classes about knowing your legal rights along with some other lawyers. So there there are a number of us out here that want to make a difference. And I think when we all continue to link up, um, we, we will make a difference. We will. Mm, well, certainly. We appreciate you on the show and keep spotlighting the issues that matter for the community. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you and appreciate your uh, thoughtful questions. And I hope that uh, your listeners do appreciate uh, what you bring to uh, to radio and to um, all of us as a community because you are very valuable. So we appreciate you. Thank you. I truly appreciate that. We give you the news here on your family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shana Thornton. But we're not done yet. Hello, Let's Talk America. This is Carla Brown from Parenting Through the School Years. In my 13 years of parenting, I know that it's a challenge to ensure your child's academic success. And 60 years after Brown v. Board of Education, parents of children of color are still trying to keep their child from falling into the academic achievement gap. Parents, help close the achievement gap by not only making the big and little kids read, but also making sure they are strong in reading comprehension. This will help in scoring high on standardized tests. Also, if your child's not on the accelerated or honor track, do your best to get them there. These classes will help prepare them for college. Find more tips at www.parentsofthisschoolyears.com. Well, everyone, let's keep the conversation going. Join us next Tuesday night, same time, same place, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember, visit our brand-new website to catch any of the previously aired episodes or to check out our upcoming show schedule. That new website is www.letstalkamericawithshanathornton.com. Again, that's www.letstalkamericawithshanathornton.com. You're going to love this website. Well, we have to get out of here, but before we do, I would love to share one of my favorite jazz tracks with you, and that is When the Sun Goes Down. When the Sun Goes Down by Atlanta jazz artist John Porter, everyone. Well, do keep the conversation going. Our news matters because it directs us where our future needs to be. I'll chat with you next Tuesday night. Continue to make a difference. John Porter will take us home. All content original, copyright 2015 by Pageant and Thomas Enterprises, LLC.